Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Good morning, everybody. It's so great to see you. Um, and as Ben said, um, in case it escaped your notice, tomorrow is New Year's Eve. And so we are, it's the day we straddle between 2018 and 2019. So a year behind us and a year that we're walking into. Um, so we'll be talking today about Joshua 3. Um, if you know me at all, you know I love the New Testament, but I really love the Old Testament, and I love the stories in the Old Testament. So we're going to be in Joshua 3 today, and I think you're going to find it exciting as you journey with me and come along with me, and I take you back into the story, back in time. Um, this story, um, again, it's, a, it's an idea of a threshold. What has happened is Moses has died Um, God has given them a promise that the Israelites were supposed to move out of their wandering nomadic life in the desert, and they were to move into a new land, a land which would bring them new life and prosperity and abundance. Um, Moses has died, and the mantle of leadership has been passed on to Joshua, a younger man. And so Joshua has this big, massive group of people. Biblical scholars tell us there's about 600,000 men in this group. Now, that doesn't include the women and the children. So when you add all that together, the best estimates are there's 2 million people. 2 million people that Joshua is in charge of. It's a massive movement of people. I mean, can you imagine? And they are to be moving somewhere that God has promised them. So they're on a threshold. Now, we we think of thresholds, we think of it in terms of time, 2018, you're going into 2019 in two days. Um, It could be crossing a state line, crossing continents, um, you know, or as the Israelites were doing, they were about to cross a river. Uh, 30 years ago, uh, Jeff, my husband, and I uh, were sent, were moved to Malaysia. So Jeff went ahead of me. We were living in Denver, Colorado at that time, and uh, our oldest daughter, Tiffany, at that time was eight months old. So I left in the middle of a snowstorm in Denver, Colorado, to cross this threshold and go to Malaysia, which is seven degrees off the equator. That was quite a movement. And from the snowstorm to the equator, about a 24 or more hours of flight into a new place that we'd never been. We were excited about going, but we didn't know anything about it. And after I'd been there about a month, I was like, oh, can we please go back home? Because... Um, there were these large lizards in our backyard that were like five feet long. They were like monitor lizards. They scampered across our yard, and they would run up trees. There were no screens at that time in these houses in Malaysia where we lived uh, outside of the city of Kuala Lumpur. There were no screens, and yet if you live in a tropical area, you know there's lots of mosquitoes, and those mosquitoes carried malaria and dengue fever. We had no idea. Um, Then there were pythons. So when Jeff would drive home sometimes from work, and he'd feel the car going over what he thought was a fallen branch or log, was a python. And the best was when my neighbor, Addie, um, they had a Rhodesian Ridgeback because they had lived in Africa before they were in Malaysia, and their dog would not stop barking at the pantry. And Addie was like, what the heck's wrong with my dog? The dog kept barking and barking, and finally she got somebody, their workmen on the property, to come over. There was a cobra inside her pantry. <laughs> so, 
Um, anyways, needless to say, we survived it. It was a, it was a wonderful experience, but it was definitely crossing, in, crossing a threshold into a new land we'd never been before, and we didn't know what to expect. So we're going to look into... Uh, we're going to look into Joshua 3 and, and go into the story a little bit. And so, I've, as I've already mentioned, God has promised the people this new land that they're going to be walking into. And we're going to start, if you have your Bibles with you or your iPhones or your whatever phone you have and you have the Bible app, you might want to just read along with me as I, I read the scripture. It said, early the next morning, Joshua got up and left Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, you are to set out from your positions and follow it, but keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between yourselves and the Ark. Do not go near it so that you can see the way to go since you have never traveled this way before. Then Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And he said to the priests, Take the Ark of the Covenant and go on ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the water, stand in the Jordan. He continued, This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will surely drive out before you your enemies. There's seven uh, nations that are listed there. They're the historical enemies of Israel. I'm not going to read their names. It, you know, it's, it, it's too much. But, but there are seven of them. And it continues, Now choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. When the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, touch down in the waters of the Jordan, its flowing waters will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant ahead of them. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. But as soon as the priests carrying the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the flowing water stood still. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The reason I picked this passage was we've been in the Christmas season and Bucky and Ben have been leading a series about the unopened, unopened gift, about the movement of God towards his people, the movement of God that culminated in the birth of his son Jesus, what we call the incarnation, God visibly coming to earth to be with humanity, to walk and live with us, to set an example. Jesus was the full self-disclosure the revelation of who God is, so we could know who God is and what he would ask us to do. So as we just celebrated Christmas in this movement of God from the heavens down to earth, we're going to step back and we're going to talk about our movement because relationships involve reciprocity, not a reciprocity that's burdensome, you know, I have to do this, but a reciprocity that we want to give. So we have God moving to us, and today we're going to talk about movement, how we move with God, how God continues to move with us. And, and so I chose this passage because since we're going from 2018 to 2019 and we're crossing this threshold, we're seeing Israel in the Old Testament, this mass exodus, massive group of people, wandering, they're about to cross a threshold into a new world, into a new life. And God's revelation has given them, it's been a promise to them, and we're now going to see the execution of that promise coming to be in this passage. So, 
This passage, remember the Old Testament, um, people weren't really literate at the time, so a lot of these, what we read now, we take for granted, because we can pull up on our phone, we can take it with us anywhere, uh, they would hear as stories. So I invite you, as we go through this, use your imaginations, try to see the stories that's unfolding. That's how the Old Testament was supposed to be presented. It's a story. You get to see yourself in it, see the people, smell the dust, hear the water, hear the noises. So we start off in Joshua, and there, there's a verb that's used constantly in this passage. It's a, it's a short passage. It's maybe 17 sentences, and it's the verb in Hebrew, abar, it means to pass by, pass over, but it really means in this passage, crossing over. That word means walking into a new life. It's not just like crossing over. It's not like crossing to a street, you know, where you're getting from one corner to the next. Um, it's literally walking into a new life. So that verb goes all the way through this story. You know, they're, they're, they're going to be crossing over the Jordan when the priests go walking through the camp the encampment, um, uh, it's two million people. They're crossing over. So that verb is used again and again to give the sense of motion and movement. But in this story, um, there's a threefold aspect. Okay, we we know that God has already promised the nation of Israel they're going to have, they're going to walk into a new land. So the promise is there. The second part of it is that the people have to move. They, they actually have to pick up their feet and move, and they're going to have to cross the River Jordan, and they're going to have to set their feet on the ground. So there's a movement required of, of the people. And the third part of it is, is that God promises to be with them in this movement. He is going to lead them and be with them. So they're not going at it alone. Um, they may be traveling as a, as, as a huge group of people, but God is going to be there with them. In the earlier part, if, if you start out in the very beginning of Joshua, and we actually heard it up here, the verse from the baby dedication in Joshua 1, this whole chapter of Joshua starts out with God talking to Joshua and saying something interesting. He says, be strong and courageous. Well, he doesn't just say it once. He says it three times. Be strong and very courageous. And then again he says, be strong and courageous. Okay, if that were me and God were speaking audibly to me about be strong and courageous, I'm going to be thinking, okay, what's going on? What's going to be happening? And then right after the third time he says, be strong and courageous, he says, do not be terrified. Well, that would get my attention. (laughs) And I would start to probably feel terrified. And then he says, do not be discouraged, for I, the Lord your God, will be with you. So that is back in Joshua 1. So I'm imagining, here's Joshua, he's leading two million people. I can't even imagine what the logistics of that are like. And they finally get to the Jordan River, which is what stands between them and Canaan, the promised land. Well, the Jordan River, Joshua's probably out front, because he's probably with his leaders, and he's probably out front, and he sees it. The Jordan River's not a gentle brook. It's an angry, raging, swollen river. Has anybody ever been whitewater rafting? Okay, I see some. Oh, Jean, good for you. Anybody else? Oh, yeah. Um, class 4, Class 5 rapids, they're treacherous. 
Well, the Jordan River wasn't friendly and gentle and a babbling little brook. It was angry and swollen because this was happening in the springtime. And at that time, in the Hebrew, it says that the water overflows all the banks, all the river banks, all the days of the harvest. We don't get that in the English. I mean, it's saying it's bad. This river is swollen and turbulent and treacherous. Okay, and the river is wide. It's 90 to 100 feet wide, 12 feet deep in the deepest part. Now, I, I, I kind of measured this sanctuary this morning when I walked in, and probably to this back wall is maybe 45 feet. So that River Jordan is going to be twice the width. And not only that, it had a really swift current, and the current was in a zigzag, zigzag motion. So it would not be easy. I mean, it would be terrible to try to cross that. So I imagine that um, Joshua is, has got to the banks, and he sees all this. And he's probably thinking, okay, now I see why God said do not be terrified. <laughs> but he still has to get the people across. So we're going to see the execution of that. Because God talks to Joshua and he says, you know, command um, the priest to take the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant contained the presence, the Israelites believed the presence of God. And um, so the Ark was to go before them and they were also to consecrate themselves. And this is interesting because consecrate in Hebrew really means to be set apart. So they were to... They had to go through the whole camp and tell the people that they were to consecrate themselves the night before they were going to cross the river. And um, if I were the leaders, I think I would have been greatly afraid looking at this river. So they tell the people to concentrate and con concentrate. Yes, they were to concentrate on setting themselves apart. And I think what that meant was to set themselves apart. They were to set aside their fears and their distress of God. They, they were to think about how far God had brought them, how he had moved with them, and to renew their trust in him and with him, realizing he wasn't going to abandon them. He was still, he was still with them. So the, the officers go through the entire encampment, and in, the, and in Hebrew, they cross over the entire encampment. Two million people telling them all the same thing, consecrate yourselves tonight, Tomorrow we set off. Then the second thing that Joshua said was that they were to they were not to move until they saw the ark move. So nobody moved until the ark of the covenant moved. So the ark of the covenant in that time, until they built the temple, until David had made the plans and Solomon built the temple, God's presence was considered to be in the ark of the covenant. It was holy; you couldn't touch it. So they, Joshua picked. 12 men, one from each tribe. So it would be like, um, you know, one person from 12 different countries. You know, all different tribes, diverse, one representative, and those 12 men were from the priesthood, and they were the ones that were to carry the Ark of the Covenant, literally lift it up and carry it. And so Joshua tells the people, you don't move until the Ark moves. And then he says, and you, and you keep a distance between the ark and you, 3,000 cubits. Um, so we're all going, 2,000 cubits, I'm sorry. We're all thinking, what is that? I had to look it up. A cubit is the distance from your elbow to your wrist. It's like the forearm. It's about 18 inches. 
So 2,000 cubits would be about 3,000 feet, about half a mile. You were to keep the uh, half a mile distance. And the reason is, Joshua wanted the people to look to where the presence of God was and to follow that, because they had never traveled this way before. They'd never gone through a swollen river, and they hadn't gone into the new land, and they needed to fix their eyes on the ark. So no movement until the ark moved. All right, so this is where it gets really dramatic. And the Hebrew gets really dramatic. There's a drama building. The focus has been on the people, two million people. Joshua's executing this plan to get them across the river. Now the focus goes on the priest. <laughs> so the priests are to step into the river, the swollen river. Have you ever been out in any of our beaches and there's a big pounding surf and you go stand up into your knees and the wave is coming in? What happens if you're standing facing the wave? Come on, it's happened to everybody. Yeah, you go down, right? You land on your back porch, <laughs> right? So, I mean, most people know not to stand with the waves hitting them like this. You kind of turn to the side or you go under. So now you've got these priests, and this river is swollen and angry. And I'm thinking, what the, how are they going to do it? And in the Hebrew, it says, the priests are to dip the soles of their feet into the river. It doesn't say step into it and walk into it. It's just dip, dip the soles of your feet. And when they did that, the water started to recede. I, I, I mean, this is crazy. You're, 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 what? You're, I mean, if I were standing on the bank, I, I would have been so worried about those priests, and I would think, this is never going to happen. This, this isn't going to happen. So they, first person, whoever those two guys were in the front, they dipped their foot into the river, the soles of their feet get wet, and the, the water starts to recede. The Hebrew says it, the water goes back and builds up into a heap. And that word heap, it's only used a couple times in all of the Old Testament. So at Christmas, any of you guys get a lot of your Christmas with Amazon shipping in? I know I did, right? I, I didn't want to brave the malls. And so we had, we had boxes out front. And in Irvine, we have to recycle so we flatten the boxes, you know, you take all the boxes and you flatten and make a big stack of them to put it in our big, um, they give us uh, recycling cans, and they're like 36 gallon, uh, 96 gallons. Well, I picture the water as the priests start, and they, they want the, the two in front dip their feet into the water, I picture the water moving back and stacking up almost like those bo- cardboard boxes that I have stacked up that have to go into my recycling bin. So, so the, the water moves back and stacks up in a heap. And it's like there's an invisible dam there. And on the other, that's the water that's coming downstream, that's just rushing at them. Well, there's still water in front of them and water that's going downstream. That water's cut off. So, so we have the water from both sides, either side of the priest, totally cut off. And, then, and Joshua has told the priest, once you go into the River Jordan, you stand in the middle of the river. So these guys are carrying the ark, and they, the water starts to recede. I imagine it's pretty spectacular because Joshua has said in the earlier passage, consecrate yourself tonight because tomorrow God is going to do spectacular, wondrous things before you. Well, before you is not before you in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it's faces. Have you ever heard the verse in your the phrase, the slang, in your face? In your face? That's what God promised to do. 
in, he was going to do something wondrous, amazing, spectacular in their faces. Not from a distance. It was going to be up close and personal. They weren't going to hear about it. They were going to experience it. So they're executing this plan. The priests are out in the middle. And now you've got two million people that have to walk through. And, and I guess when you first read it, you know, you, you don't think too much about that. But I started thinking about it as I was studying this week. What does that mean to have two million people Two million people walk through an area across a river. Well, if you're a healthy person, you can walk four feet in about, um, in about uh, uh, one second. So you can, you, can cross, you can cross four feet distance in one second. Um, now that river is, is 90 to 100 feet wide. So it would probably take the average healthy person 20 seconds to get across. If it's flat land, nobody tripped. But remember, you've got little kids, elderly. You have 2 million people. So I kept thinking in my mind, trying to do the math, how long did it take them to cross? And I think it was more than a day. I don't think they got through it because I don't think they had a large area where they were able to cross in. I don't think that the water was dry for like a mile on either side of the priest. So it was a long process, and those priests had to stand there in the, river, in the center of the river. And I, if I were one of those people towards the tail end of those two million, I would be thinking, what if that water breaks loose? You know, everybody else has gotten through, but I'm, I'm the last one. What, what if I'm not going to get through? But the story tells us that Everyone got through. It was finished. It was completed. They all made it across the river. So while uh, the priests are standing there in the river, which is dry ground, their feet are in dry ground, the people made it to the dry ground. They set their feet on the dry ground in the promised land, in Canaan, what God had promised them. So God delivered them. He rescued them. He brought this massive group of people through to, the, to a new land. And it's, you know, it's metaphorically for us, you know, as we're thinking about 2018, 2019, I think it's a wonderful passage to think about, about how, what we're going to leave behind in 2018, what we're going to step into. Is it going to be a new frontier? You know, we're comfortable maybe with the terrain we've been in 2018. We don't know what's in 2019. You know, I love my phone apps and my apps on my computer. There's no app that's going to tell me where I'm going to go in 2019, what's going to happen to me, what my travel, what my journey is going to be like. There's no app. There's no way to predict it. Um, So that's, I think, why I love this passage. It's perfect for the threshold for the time we're in right now between two years. In thinking about us, we've seen God move to us, towards us in Christmas. And now we get to think about our movement towards God. The, the one point um, that I, I didn't mention um, was that when they had their eyes fixed on the ark, at that, that would mean to them that watching the ark where, where God supposedly, where God was, that was his presence, would be for them to know the way to go and how to live. So they were to keep their eyes on Yahweh, on their God, to give them direction and guidance, support, encouragement. So the, the, this massive group of people, we, we can see this as a corporate movement. So God is moving a huge group of people. But, 
you know, in our journey with God, there's, there's, both compo- there's two components. There's the corporate movement. That, that means, for most of us, we belong to a faith community. We, we go to a church, so we move with that church. Churches are different depending on the challenges of the, of the congregants and of what they face, what country you live in, what region, um, what concerns them. So, so churches move in, in different ways. But besides the corporate movement, like we see with the Israelites following Joshua, there's also a personal accountability. Every one of the Israelites, the leaders, the priests, they all had to move as well. There was, there was uh, an accountability and a relationship between them and their Lord God as well. So two things, they're both important, being part of a faith community and friends that can support you and encourage you on your journey, on your life's travels, and also personal. When you look at yourself, as Joshua said, consecrate yourself, you look inside yourself and you think, you know, what's holding me back? What's hindering me? You know, uh, what do I maybe need to leave behind in 2018? What's unhealthy for me? What, what can I leave back in 2018 as I move into 2019 with the help of God, you know, fixing my eyes on that? So for that time, they fixed their eyes on the ark. And the whole nation got across. So the rivers were cut off until the whole nation was completed. And, and you know, I just mentioned this. Both, both movements in both ways, with a community, a faith community, with people that you love, that you trust, um, that pray for you, that care for you, that help you, and also personal movement is involved in our relationship with God. So in that time, as I just uh, said, they would be watching physically. When they were there, if you're still in the scene looking, they're looking ahead at the ark. They can see it. They can see the priest. So fast forward to the New Testament. We get to the New Testament, and I love this verse from Hebrews. It says... Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. So the message hasn't changed. Whether you've gone from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God's people are still called to keep their eyes on him. There's a movement involved. He's moved toward us. He moves with us. We need to move with him. We need to be focused on him. So when we see, and Christmas, we just went through Christmas, Jesus coming, walking as a human, fully God, fully man, showing us the way to live, the way to think, the the way to discard unhealthy attitudes or prejudices or conclusion or thinking that's not helping us move along with where God would have us be. And how do we know where God would have us be? We just need to look at Jesus. Look at his life. Look at what he tells us to do. So before I uh, conclude, I want to give two, if you will, um, if you'll just indulge me, two quick stories. So movement I believe, and I I think this is biblical, movement is healthy. Movement, whether we like it or not, whether we go willingly or God drags us, movement is healthy. It's healing. It brings us new life. It breaks change. It brings us freedom. It brings us peace. It brings us love. Movement is healthy. So 
I, I come from a big family. I have three brothers and four sisters. And uh, if you're in my women's group, you, you, you know I have a, a lot of sisters. And I don't normally talk about my brothers, but I have one brother. One of my brothers is a nurse. And he works on, he's been working on, he's just about to retire for 30 years. He's, he works in the ICU with heart patients. My brother was really mechanical. When I was in grad school and I went to visit him and his buddy Ed, they're, they're best friends for years and years, and went to see their place, I walk into their living room. There's no furniture in their living room. There's two motorcycles and there's parts everywhere. They're grease monkeys. My brother loves tinkering with things and fixing things. That's a good thing in the ICU with all of that equipment for heart patients. So he deals with people that have double, pi- double bypass, quadruple bypass, heart valve replacements, TAVR procedures, you name it, he's done it, and he loves it. He loves all the details about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't think I would, but he loves all the details. And so he told me, and I, you know, I said, hey, Randy, when you're trying to get your patients well, what, what do you do? Because we were talking about a friend who was going through, uh, my sister actually went through a, a, heart, um, a heart surgery in the last month, and so I was talking to Randy, and he goes, you know, when I was a young nurse, and, and he works a lot of graveyard shifts, he goes, I would go into the patients, and they wouldn't be feeling well. It would be one or two in the morning. And, you know, I would try to give them something for their pain or a sleeping pill. He goes, now that I'm older and I've seen it, he goes, I go over to their bedside, and I go, hey, let's get up. And he, and he makes them walk. And he walks with them. He goes, let's go for a walk. Come on, come with me. And he walks them down the hall. He doesn't really push them really hard, nothing that would be dangerous, but he gets them up and moving. And they're walking down the hall, and he's talking to them. He's really funny. He's actually hilarious. And, and he's talking to them, and he's smiling, and he's telling them. He's probably telling them a joke. He has a million jokes. And, and they're feeling better. He's moving them. And they, when he feels like they've gotten tired, he takes them back, and he puts them back in the bed, and they sleep better. They sleep better. Movement helps us heal on our physical bodies. So let's go back to the New Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. You know we have this picture of Jesus as the good shepherd. We're all urbanites. Do any of you own flocks of sheep? I wouldn't think so, right? We're not farmers. We, we don't, we're not ranchers. So one of the most important jobs of a shepherd is to keep his sheep, the flock of sheep, moving. They will not thrive. They will not flourish without that movement. You've got to move them. You know why? Sheep are notorious, um, habitual. They love, they'll just stand in one spot. They, They don't want to move. And if you have them in a pasture with grass, they will literally just chew and chew and chew until they get down to the roots and they'll pull out the roots. You can hear me, right? This kind of flips around a little bit. They'll pull out the roots, and you'll go from a green pasture to something that looks like a desert. So if you're a good shepherd and you want your sheep to flourish and to thrive, you've got to keep them moving. You can't let them rut out the ground because they'll rut it out. They'll just stay there and rut it, and they'll uh, pollute the water. You've got to keep them moving to fresh sources of water. And guess what? They're anxious. Sheep are anxious and timid. And if they're anxious and timid, They will not lay down and rest, but the shepherd knows how to relieve their anxieties. He takes care of the competition and the rivalry in in the social chaos in the the flock where an older you will go and just start banging her head against, you know, and intimidating against the sheep and they're all anxious. He'll calm them down. So the shepherd's biggest job for thriving his sheep is to keep them moving. Same with God. 
I mean, it's the same in our physical bodies with healing. Physical therapists, what do they always tell you? Let's move, let's move. They get you moving, right? Um, My brother gets his patients moving. God keeps us moving for a reason. And the reason is for health. He wants us healthy. He wants us thriving. He wants our bodies healthy, our emotions healthy, um, not to be anxious people, not to be fearful people. And he wants us spiritually healthy. He wants us to enjoy these great gifts of peace and love and kindness and goodness. So he keeps us moving. So we're at this threshold, 2018 to 2019, And I'd I'd like you, as the band comes up, I'd I'd like you to consider, you know, what are some of the things I need to maybe throw out and maybe not go there again? Or maybe I was there for a season and and I need to move out of it. It, It's not helping me. I'm not healthy. Maybe I need to reach out to a friend. Um, Maybe I need to ask for prayer. So what are the things maybe... You might want to leave behind in 2018. And what are the things that you might want to think about moving into in 2019? Uh, Some of the things that God maybe is igniting in your heart. Maybe he's given you a passion for something and and you're thinking, I might want to try that. Uh, And you're a little bit afraid. But remember, God is in the business of moving and he's also in the business of healing. He does not want you in those ruts. If you've been in a rut in 2018, he doesn't want you there. He wants you out of that rut. He wants you healthy. That's where he wants you. Movement is your friend. It's your friend with your physical body. It's your friend with your emotional health. And it's your friend in your spiritual health. Um, so we're, we're going to be taking communion. We've got four stations as you go to take communion, Jesus said to do this. At the last supper, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And I would ask as you walk up there that you remember back to 2018, things that were good, that you want to bless your past. You want to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for those wonderful things that happened in 2018. And maybe you're going to look back and say, uh, you know, I've got some things going on in 2018. I don't want to take with me into 2019. I have to change my attitude. I have to change something within me. I need to go ask somebody for their forgiveness because I just steamrolled them. So maybe you need to you know, consider that, remember that, and then just remember that God is with you. Just as he was in the Old Testament, as Jesus says he's in the New Testament. In, in Joshua 1, he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you to Joshua before all this movement starts to the River Jordan. Um, He says that the New Testament in Hebrews 12 says the same thing. The same thing in the New Testament. God's voice is the same throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I am with you always to the ends of the earth. So um, we'll go ahead and when you feel called to, uh, please um, go ahead and take the wafer. And uh, there's a little grape juice there. And, And remember that God is in the business of movement. And he's in the business of healing as well. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.